I was watching the band earlier today. Did you enjoy the worship, the music, the talent they have? Fantastic. And uh, I was thinking, you know, boy, I, I, wish, I wish I could play the keyboard like Phil does. You know, maybe if I tear a hole in my jeans or something like that and have a bit of a go, I'll be able to play like Phil. And then I was uh, watching Holly on the microphone and thought, even, even with the microphone or even carrying a cup of tea as she is now, I thought, I wish I just had the moves that Holly... Holly does, you know, whatever she does, she's just got the, she's got the moves and I was watching Andy over here on the bass guitar and I thought, wow, you know, I need to play the bass guitar like Andy and the guys over here on the guitars are so good, you know, if you want to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, I'm the man, I can, I can do that on the guitar but oh, I don't know, these guys are just fantastic, I wish I could do that and the drums, I've always wanted to have a go at the drums but... <laughs> I wish I could play it well wish I could play it well can we have the first Bible verse Cameron you're blessed when you're content with just who you are no more, no less that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought I think if we can fully grasp the truth that's in that message, it has potential to be life-changing. All these wishes I could do this and wishes I could do that. You're taking photos of the Bible verse? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay, I wish, I wish. But I want to take time to explore the implications of that Bible verse today. And, and I hope to ruffle a couple of feathers. I don't apologise for that. But I know too that I don't have the capacity to speak in a way that really touches your heart. It depends on where your heart is focused, where you are with God, um, what's going on in your life at the moment. But my prayer is that today that God will speak to you through this message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our minds and our hearts will be open to what you're saying to us. Father, we want to leave aside the things from the week, things that are on our mind and perhaps are urgent. We just want to set them aside and say that our time with you is urgent and important as well. Speak to us now, Lord. Amen. As I was preparing for the message today, I um, was looking at other translations of this same verse. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. For those who are just visiting or haven't been for a while, we're going through the Beatitudes um, in the Bible. And uh, we're looking at Matthew 5, 5. And the traditional translation of this verse is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is the message translation we have here. And on the surface, those two translations seem very different, don't they? We're here, we're hearing about being content with what you have, no more, no less. And uh, the uh, traditional translations say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I began to ponder that, and I was sort of a little bit perplexed. 
And I was looking at the, uh, the traditional version and thought, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Does it really mean that if someone is meek or lowly or, or humble, as other translations say, that one day they'll be rewarded by owning the earth? Perhaps this is a very contemporary view. Let's have a look at some uh, images that might help us to uh, think more about this. The meek shall inherit the earth, if it's okay with you. Or, uh, the earth is yours, but as expected, the non-meek are going to contest this ruling like crazy. And another one. I'm sure Bill Gates might agree. So there's a lot of thinking around that verse. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But all of us will receive a reward in heaven one day. The Bible says that. And really, what would the meek want with the earth anyway? It's almost like a consolation prize. Well, um, we've got to give the meek something. Um, They're not very forthcoming. Um, um, Or we won't need the earth. Um, They can have the earth. But then there's not going to be an earth to inherit anyway. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Isaiah 65, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old one anymore. Well, the joke's on the meek, isn't it? (laughs) They're so gullible. There isn't going to be an earth to inherit. So what does this verse mean? And how is it connected with being content? To start to understand it, we need to know what meek really means. And in the context it's being used, it's not weakness or being walked over, as we might think. But it's having a right or power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. It's power under control. Moses in the New Old Testament, rather, he was described as being meek. Moses, who went to the Pharaoh and said, let these people go. Moses, who took millions of people out of slavery and marched across the Red Sea. Moses, who performed miracles. Moses, who went up the mountain to talk to God, was described as being meek. Guys, if it's okay with you, we might cross the Red Sea now. We better hurry. You know, the Egyptians are coming. We think of meek as weak, but it's not. We can be strong in God, yet submissive to Him and His purpose. Then we're meek in the context of the Bible. It's about submitting all we have, all we are, to God. So, how does that bring about inheritance? The meek shall inherit the earth. Well, it's not about the physical things around us at all, is it? It's about the important things. The important things. It's about the things of God. It's about knowing his love, his grace, knowing his purpose, his direction. Bringing others into relationship with him. Knowing that life has meaning. So those who are meek, those whose lives are under God's control... Those who are submissive to God can have the full favour of God upon them. We're not at loggerheads and butting ideas with God, but we're being submissive to him. And that leads us to a life 
that is truly satisfying, that is full of contentment. So what more do we need? In a sense, we have the whole earth. We've inherited the whole earth because our lives are submitted to God. And that's the theme that the message translation picks up. And it gives us further understanding. If we could get that uh, verse back on. Thanks, Cameron. You're blessed when you are content with just who you are. Now, that being content comes from being meek, submissive to God. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You've inherited the world. You have inherited the world. Now, that describes a very enviable position for a believer to be in. To be content with who they are and not desire for anything more or anything less. That's a wonderful place to be. But there's three dangers in being content. And I want to explore those with you. The first is that we feel content because of our own efforts. We're self-satisfied, we're self-made, and we have all these achievements, and we feel pretty good about that, and there's this sense of contentment. Let's look at what happens in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking. Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. Isn't that a feeling of contentment that comes through there? But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So here we have a man who had much and intended to produce a whole lot more and he planned to store his wealth so he could take it easy and enjoy the high life, sit back and be content with all he had. And there are times we can be deceived to thinking, well, we're okay, we've made it. Our hard work and our efforts and our careful investments and our savings have made it all right. Or perhaps we're focused on more. I want to earn more. But we're over-opinionated of who we are and what we have. We become proud and we find that we have no need for God. How can we be salt and light if we feel that what we have and who we are is due to our own efforts? The world needs salt and light, not Christians who sit within their self-made castles getting fat off the fruit of their own labours. Do you know too much salt is bad for your health? It can cause kidney failure, high blood pressure, strokes, forms of cancer, thickening of the heart muscles and even heart failure. But I deserve this. I've worked hard for it. I can sit back and relax and be content. 
If that's your attitude, I think your heart has already failed. The Bible tells us that every good thing we have comes from God. But it's not for our pleasure, it's for his purpose. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the writer says, Their minds are corrupt, they have turned their backs on the truth. To them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. If that's your attitude, I think the enemy has effectively taken you out of the game already. Because being salt and light is about drawing others to God, not trying to impress them with your own efforts and success. The passage in Timothy continues, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself a great wealth. That's the kind of wealth that is salt and light. That's what will attract people towards God. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So, a proud attitude, this sense of I feel content for what I've achieved is a danger. But in a sense, the opposite is just as bad. The second danger is this. Consider the person who is discontent with who they are. I'm no good at anything. I'm not worthy. Well, that's true, but it's the same for me and everyone else here. It doesn't matter anyway, because God loves us. God couldn't use me. There's nothing I can do. I can never be salt and light. I can barely even work up a dim glow to find my own way around my dark and dreary place in this world. Everyone else is better than me. On a side note, you know when you compare yourself to other people, it always ends in tears. Either you come out second best because they're better, or you end up with an artificial sense of self-importance, so don't play that game. But there's a false concept that this is genuine meekness. This is being humble. But the truth is you've been deceived and you've been taken out of the game as well. At the risk of being a little offensive, here's another comic to look at. Thanks, Cameron. Can we have that last one? You've been classified as apathetic, not meek. We have to be careful that our attitude towards ourselves is not apathetic. What does the Bible say about your worth? Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Can you say that about yourself? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that about yourself? That God has made you in a wonderful way. And I know that we have shortcomings. We all do. And there's sin in our lives. And none of us on our own are worthy of God's love. But he loves us anyway. And it's got nothing to do with how good or how bad you are. God the creator put you together in a wonderful way. You can't go around and be down on yourself. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 8. It talks about God's creation and our place in that creation. 
O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Let's just pause that for a minute. Have you ever been out somewhere at night, away from the city lights, and you see this just myriad of stars? It's amazing. So clear. And sometimes you can even sort of perceive the depth. You're not just looking at a 2D thing. You're looking at 3D. It just goes on and on and on. And you think about the size of those stars and the planets and the distance apart. And then you think, really, in all of this universe, how small is the earth? Yet when we're standing on the earth, it's pretty big. It's pretty significant. And then you think, well, I'm just a little speck on the earth. And I'm only here for a short time. I won't be here as long as some of the trees. Certainly not as long as the mountains and the rivers. There's significant things on this earth. And then there's me. So here am I, this little speck of dust on this smallish planet in this amazing universe. But yet, God made us only a little lower than himself. Verse 5. He crowned us with glory and honour. So in all of creation, we are the jewel in God's crown. I'm not good. God couldn't use me for anything. It's a lie. You can't be salt and light if that's what you think about yourself. Verse 6, God put us in charge of everything he made, putting all things under his authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. So don't give me the I'm not worthy, woe is me speech. You're not being meek. You're not being content with your life. You're being deceived. How can someone whose head and shoulders are down, who's constantly focused on all the wrong things in their life and views themselves as unworthy, even contemplate that they have salt and light to offer others? Well, I'm not very good at it, but let me try and show you the way anyway. Be careful. My light's a little bit dim and you might trip. I stumble and fall all the time. Maybe there's hope for you. Who's going to follow that? Who is going to say, hey, that person knows the way? I want some of that as well. Being meek, being content, is knowing the power of who you are in God and living a life that outworks that under submission to him. It's exercising strength under God's control. Well, if you think I'm making that up and being a little bit dramatic, let's go back to the Bible. When Jesus first met Simon Peter, we've heard this story recently, he'd been fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. Jesus said, go out a bit further, cast your nets over there, and he pulled in a big haul of fish. And in Luke 5, verse 8, When Simon Peter realised what had happened, that is an amazing miracle, 
He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Woe is me, not good enough. You better go, God. You know, you don't know really who you're dealing with here. Because Peter was awestruck by the number of fish they'd caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. But let's just hold it there. What if that was the end of a conversation? If Jesus replied, uh, yep, I think maybe I've got it wrong. You're a sinful lowlife and besides you smell of fish. I'm out of here. All the best. But Jesus knew the potential of Peter's life and the plans he had for him. Upon this rock, this sinful, fishy smelling rock, I will build my church. Jesus knew who Peter was. Going back to the Bible verse, Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I thought Jesus' response, Don't be afraid, was a really interesting one. What would Peter be afraid of? Perhaps the uncertainty of having a different kind of future. Peter had in his mind that he was going to be a fisherman. That's what he'd worked for. That's what he knew. That's what he would continue to do and probably do to the day he died. But now Jesus is saying, oh, hang on, I'm just changing things around here. Maybe he was afraid that Jesus would show up further of Peter's flaws and weaknesses. Jesus knows them already. There's no surprises. Maybe he was afraid that he wouldn't live up to Jesus' expectations. He would just fail him and let him down. Well, Peter did. But Jesus loved him anyway. They're real fears, and maybe you have them too. Maybe you can't be content in your life because of these fears, because you're concerned what God might call you to do. Because you're concerned that you'll let him down. Because you're concerned that there might be sins there that aren't really attractive. Maybe you're using those fears as an excuse. It's easier to stay where you know and keep doing what you're doing. It's more comfortable to live in a state of weakness rather than lift your head And walk in confidence with God. And so we stick to what we know, though it's not the best for us. And we avoid the challenge of what God might have for us. And we tell ourselves, well, I'm content, I suppose, given the circumstances. There's much more for you out there than that. Much, much more. If we're discontent, we can't be used by God. Each moment we're wishing we were someone else, we're wishing our life away and we're not being salt and light. Now, I said there were three dangers about content. The first, to be content due to your own achievements. The second, to be discontent. And what's the third? Well, I think the third danger is being content in God who has made you, where you are, but staying there. 
staying there. You see, our Christian life is a journey. The person I am when I became a Christian at age 10 is not the person I am now. We need to learn to be content with where God has us today, but realise he's going to move us on tomorrow. And if we get to the point of saying, this is it, I think I've got it all sorted, this is where I'm staying, I'm happy with that, I'm content with that, I've given X much to God, then we're going to miss what he has for us tomorrow. The food that satisfies us today won't be sufficient or fresh next week. I think if we've got to a certain level with God and we're staying there, it's not that we've turned our back on him and said, I don't believe this anymore, but just not that we're willing to leave the boats and follow further. If we stay put, then I think we grow weak. And I think our salt supply will run low. And eventually, our light will grow vague. We can't be salt and light. Think of where you are now with God. Sure, over time you've learned a lot, you've grown a lot, you've experienced a lot. But is this where you want to be in 12 months' time? I don't mean in this church. I hope you are here in 12 months' time. Well, maybe God will move you on. We don't know. But do you want to be the same place with God in two years' time? Or in five years' time when you look back to 2006 and you want to think, well, I really haven't grown much. I don't know a whole lot more. I challenge you to make sure that you are growing that you don't get comfortable and content, stay put with where you are, with what you know, and not move on. I think it's important that we learn to be content with today and make the most of that day, but don't be content with tomorrow. When we fully understand who we are in God... When we show that we are content in him, we can be salt and light to the world. Do you know it's not the go-getters or the high flyers or those who push the boundaries to build contentment in their life who are the real success? It's those who learn to depend wholly on God and to be submissive to his calling. It's the meek. It's the ones who can be content with today and certain of the future. They're the ones who put the seasoning and light in the world. They are the ones who can show the world something of what God himself is like by the way they react, by what they do, by how they show that what they have in God is all they need. Let's finish with the words of Paul in Philippians. We have a look at that verse. Thanks, Cameron. Philippians chapter 4. For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learnt the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Can I get the band to come back up now, please? I want to give you some time just to think through all the things we've covered to see where you feel you fit in. And in a moment I'll give you a time just of silent prayer and contemplation to do that. But as you're doing that, I wonder whether you can identify most with the kind of person I mentioned first, that person who has that feeling of contentment, but really... It's because of what you have achieved personally. You know, you might sit on your veranda in the cool of the evening and survey your land. Think about your day. Think about your family and your house. Think about your investments that will carry you through. And you can't help feeling a little bit proud and content with that. I wonder if you identify most with that person who's challenged to realise that all good gifts come from God. For his purpose. Or I wonder if you identify more with the person who is down on themselves and can never quite live up to expectations and feels that God has no real purpose for you. That other people can do these wonderful things but you can't. I wonder if that's what you relate to most. Let me tell you that God has a purpose and a plan for you. But you're closing the door to that as long as you believe God can't use you because God wants to use you he can use you you've got to open up that door and say God even though I'm who I am sinful and someone who fails and stumbles and falls I know that you can use me and I want to give my life to you for that purpose can you relate more with the person who is just at that one spot Yes, you have a heart for God. Yes, you've grown and learned, but nothing much is changing now. You're quite content with what you know about God, with your experience of God, quite content with sitting here in church, but there's more. And you're going to run out of salt and light very soon. We can't rely on the manna that was given yesterday. You need something new and something fresh. Maybe you can relate to one of the cartoon characters I was showing. The person who's standing before God and God says, well, actually, you've been classified as apathetic. Do you feel that way about yourself? And realise that that's not how God will use you either. That he's got endless supplies of salt and light for you and he wants you to be out there to do something with that. Perhaps God is speaking to you in a totally different way through this message. But I think it's important that we don't leave church this morning without having time with God where I'll stop talking and you can just think, God, what is it you're saying? Where are you challenging me? I want to learn to be content. I want nothing more, nothing less. And then I will own the world. Then I can be salt and light.